Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. There are notes to my left or right on the counter. You may not need them because the outline, I think, is easy. It's so easy, I think, even even uh, children can, can get the outline. I made a deal with my children. I won't tell you what the deal is, but an arrangement if they get all the C words. So there will be at least seven C words. And if you get them right, you get a prize. That prize is from God, it's not from me. I'm joking about the prize. There's, there is no prize. But seven C words is basically the outline. The verse this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, will be chapter 3, verse 13. We took time last week to look at verse 12. We're taking time this morning to look at verse 13. And then in the following weeks, we'll go faster. But these two verses, chapter 3 of Hebrews 12 and 13, I think are very important and demand our, our attention. Let me read verses 12 and 13 before I pray Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, we continue to worship you, and we thank you that we can take our sin and lay it down Lord, that you carry it for us. We cannot carry it ourselves. You are our sin bearer, Lord. And now as we approach your word, we pray that you give grace for me to preach it accurately and clearly. And give us all grace, Lord, to apply it, to really live it out, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, I started the sermon by talking about how you can take self-defense classes. You can learn to be your own bodyguard. In a similar way, we said Hebrews 3.12 talks about you need to be your own bodyguard, but in terms of the heart, you need to be a heart guard. This week, when you look at verse 13... It's not just that you need to be your own bodyguard, but with this text, heart guard, you need to be a bodyguard of somebody else. Now, spiritually, we're not saying that you actually need to become a bodyguard for someone else, but you need to be a heart guard for someone else, and you see that really in verse 13. Last week, I said again, at the introduction, there are classes you can take to learn to become your own bodyguard. Well, Scripture says in Proverbs 4.23 that we need to guard our own hearts. We need to defend our own hearts. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Well, verse 13 is saying not only do you need to guard your own heart, in a certain way, you also need to guard other people's hearts as well. Do you know that even physically speaking, you can take classes on, bec- on becoming an executive protection security agent. And they teach you everything from defending against a knife to 
using a, a rifle or a pistol to actually driving a car. How to drive it as a police or FBI agent would. And I think the classes start at about $1,500. Well, and a more... Not that it's not serious to be a physical bodyguard, even a secret service person protecting a politician, but eternally more important is that we are a heart guard for our own hearts, but even with verse 13, that we also, we also are seeking to guard others from their hearts being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that may be in them. We have said that this whole passage, Hebrews 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 13, is about drifting away. Drifting away from Jesus Christ is a heart issue. Take care of the other heart. How do we take care of the heart? We've looked at many different treatments. We said, first of all, develop a proper biblical self-image. Then we said, second, right now, clearly think about Jesus. And then we said, third is that basically we need to be more concerned about living simply for Jesus Christ, for God, rather than expecting some kind of great miracles. And then last week we said, take care of your own heart by guarding against your own remaining unbelief. Today is the, the fifth treatment, and it's take care of your own heart by helping others to guard against their own disbelief in their heart. Be a heart guard for somebody else. Now, how would, the question then that I have is, how would guard, guarding somebody else, how would helping, how would helping somebody else's heart not be overcome with unbelief, how would that help my heart? And I think the answer is selflessness, that the more that I am concerned about other people not falling prey to the remaining sin of unbelief in their own heart, then that will help me to focus on the Lord and be more about the Lord and others than about myself. Now, before we get into these different C words, and there's at least seven of them, let me just mention this. I am not saying, nor is this text saying, Hebrews 3.13, that you and I know the heart. You know, I don't know your heart. I can grow in my understanding of what makes you tick, but I, I don't really know by heart again. It's that mission control, the headquarters in your inner person. It, it's the affections, the will, desires, conscience, all of that inside. I, I can't really know that truly, and I can't even transform it. I, I can't really change your heart. But what we do see in Scripture is God can use you and God can use me through his words, for the power of his spirit to change hearts. So this morning, with the time that we have, we're just going to look at what this involves. This: How do we become a heart guard for somebody else? How, how do we help to guard somebody else from falling prey to the unbelief that is still part of their remaining sin? How do we help them? Seven C words. Number one is communication. And you can see it there in your notes. Communication. 
Look at verse 13 and look at the word encourage. Encourage. And here in verse 13, you'll note it says, but encourage. And this conjunction here where it says, but is this adversative conjunction. And there's several in Hebrew. This is the Greek, I mean, in Greek. This is the one, Allah, A-L-L-A. And it's the idea of, but rather. And so if you, if you look at verse 12, lest there be any of you that falls away from the living God, but rather instead do this. That is to help people not to fall away from the living God, but rather instead of seeing that happen in their lives, you do this instead. You encourage them. But this word encourage is a word that almost every person here would, would know of it. In Greek here, it's a verb, and it's parakalao. Does that sound familiar? We get the noun, uh, parakaletas, the comforter, in John 14 and John 16. One's a noun, and one's a verb. Here, we have the verb. And it is one of the most significant, major, comprehensive terms in the Bible for communication. Second uh, Timothy 4.2. Preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So that the, the word is used there, encouragement, exhort. This is a word that's used throughout the whole New Testament for communicating in many different ways and in many different forms. Bottom, bottom level of this word is to communicate. It, it can be translated encouragement, uh, urge, exhortation, entreating, pleading, imploring, requesting. It all depends by the context. In fact, if you just stay in the book of Hebrews, if you go to chapter 13 of Hebrews and look at verse 19, chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 19, it says, and I urge you all the more to do this. That's the same word. I urge you. So in Hebrews 3.13, the translators translate it, but encourage. And in 3.19, but I, I urge. <laughs> they, translate, they translate it differently because in context, there's a little bit of a different nuance. But both, are the, both of them are the ideas of communicating Something, communicating some material. In fact, if you were to stay in the same chapter and look at verse 22, the word is used twice. Once as a verb and once as a noun. But I urge you, right there, urge. That's the same word, encourage, or some your versions might say exhort in Hebrews 13, 3.13. Here, it's, but I urge you, brethren, to hear this word of, Hebrews 13.22, to hear this word of exhortation. That's the noun form. So even in Hebrews 13, verse 22, you see the verb used, and you see the noun used, and especially here the noun is talking about a word of exhortation. It's talking about the whole book of Hebrews, and it's talking about written communication. 
So what I'm saying is, when you see this word here in Hebrews 13, but encourage one another, it's the idea of communication. Basic, lowest, semantic, bottom level range of the word is communication, communicating. Whether written or spoken, it's the idea of communicating to someone else. So we can say it this way. If you know somebody that is really it seems, having a difficult time, and maybe you're thinking in your heart, or as the New Testament would say, in your gut, in your spankna, should I talk to them? And maybe you would say, Lord, I'm going to pray about it. Well, it's not a bad idea to pray. Most of the time, you don't really have to absolutely pray about this. You need to communicate. Sure, pray about everything, but we have to do more than pray. We have to talk, not just to God, but we have to talk to others. We have to talk to other people. We have to talk to believers, especially to those Christians that might be struggling. If someone was on a flotation device, I'm not sure why they would do this, but they were on a flotation device and they were close to going over the edge at Niagara Falls, what would you do? Maybe you're on a boat. Maybe they're on this flotation device and they are, they're, it's a sunny day in upper New York State. They're just, ah, yes. Maybe they have some lemonade and they're just, uh, this is sweet, nice, cool air, the water. I hear like what sounds like waves from the ocean. What would you do? I I don't want to offend them. I have to tell them they're wrong. They could get upset with me. I could shatter their uh, illusion of blessedness. What would you do? Certainly, you would want to communicate to them. Probably any way you could. Maybe you would text them. I'll just text them. Maybe they don't have their cell phone. Maybe you send a flare. What I'm saying is that this word here is saying that we need to communicate, find the best, most appropriate way for that person, for that time, in that situation, and communicate to them. Maybe it's a letter. (gasps) A real letter. Maybe. Maybe it's a postcard. It's wonderful during Christmas because we get all those... Christmas cards, and many of you sent them to us, and Lisa puts them up on the wall, and I always look at them, I always read them many, many, many times. That's communication. Here, this word, bottom level, when it says encourage, it's not, though it it could involve it, it's not just going up to somebody and rubbing them on the back. Rather, it's communicating to them communicating to them. Second C word. You can see it in your notes. is call. C-A-L-L. Call. Why would I use call? Well, verse 13 says, but encourage one another day after day. Again, some of your versions might say, but exhort. Well, this word is parakalao. Para is a preposition that means beside or come along beside Kaleo means call. I, I call you. Hey, Barney! Hopefully nobody here is named Barney. Barney! George! 
I'm calling them, I'm communicating to them, but the the morphology of this term, how the word looks, its component parts, involved in it is this summons, coming along beside somebody, and hey, do this, like that person on a raft that, they don't know it, but they're going to fall off the waterfall. I, it's not just that I, you know, I don't want to offend you. You could possibly be going over a waterfall. Just, just so you know. You know. They're way over there. They're in the middle. I would want to be sure that they understand. So I would summon them to do something. Get off the raft! Grab the line! Do something to save your life! There's a type of summons, of invitation, a type of even, sometimes the word is translated pleading. Let me just give you a, a few different examples of this word so we can understand really what we're being asked to do by God in a very practical way. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, I, I urge Uadia and syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. Very practical. I urge he doesn't say, the, the translators don't say uh, exhort or are correct. They're, they say urge because Paul's trying to be kind, but at the same time trying to get them to understand, ladies, it's really important that you stop behaving this way. I'm, I, I'm urging, I'm, I, I'm not just suggesting this is, I'm inviting you to, to stop that and instead do this instead. Now, there's another, there's several, now, as I said, this is, one of the most comprehensive words for communication in the Bible. We could spend the whole hour just looking up all the different times that this is used. For example, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is the, the turning point in the book of Romans of going from mainly doctrine now to mainly application. Romans 12, 1, I urge you, it's it's this pleading, it's this invitation, it's this summons. Here's what I've told you, now instead, do this. This is something that you need to do, involving a, a type of request. Just a few more, and again, we could look at many, Luke chapter 3. This is John the Baptist, and it says in Luke 3.18, so with many other exhortations, same term, but a noun here, with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. This is John the Baptist, right? And, and he preached, repent, repent or you'll go to hell. So John the Baptist certainly was urging them, inviting them, summoning them to repent and to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Matthew fourteen thirty six. I'm just trying to flesh this out a little bit, so we'll so we understand when it says encouragement or exhort. Yes, encourage. Yes, exhort. But it's asking somebody to do something. Do something. It's a type of a request. Matthew chapter fourteen. And again, this is just everywhere throughout the whole New Testament. 
uh, verse 36, Matthew 14, verse 36. My version, American Standard says, And they implored him, Jesus, that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. Uh, implore. What does implore mean? What, what connotations does that give? Implore. H- have you ever used that word in everyday English? Do my children implore me for chocolate chip cookies? Maybe, you know. I implore Lisa for chocolate chip cookies. I beg you! I plead with you, Lisa, make me a fifth batch of chocolate chip cookies today or I will die. There is this, there is a passion that's involved with this and concern, but it is a type of a summons. Do something. Even, look at Luke 8, 31, and, and then we'll stop because I think the idea is getting across, but this is a very interesting usage of the word. Luke chapter 8, verse 31. Verse 29 says, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Verse 30, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They, meaning the demons, were imploring him, Jesus. They were imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Here's demons begging Jesus, don't send us to hell yet. We have a request, Jesus, don't send us to hell quite yet. Please don't do that. So what I am sharing with you is this term can be translated in many different ways and context determines but first it's you're communicating to somebody. It's not just rubbing their back. That's that's great. It's actually communicating to them, and that communication involves you're asking them to do something. It's a type of a summons. Now, the third C word is compassion. 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 If you look back at Hebrews 3.13, this word, but encourage, but exhort, implore, urge, uh, entreat is sometimes how it's translated. Again, the Greek word is parakalao, and para is the idea that I would come along beside you in order to, to help you. So what's involved with this idea of encourage or exhort or imploring, it's not just that I'm doing a duty. It's not just that I'm faking it. It's not just that I'm an extrovert, and so i got to be loud. Rather, there is in my heart this, this heart that, that cares. I, I want to get involved because I, I don't want to see myself. I, I don't want to see others fall away from the living God. Chapter 2, that they drift away from it, verse 1, and they neglect a great salvation. Chapter 2, verse 3. So the way that we communicate to people that could be or about to be are maybe they're in believing lies and beginning to drift away, pleading with them and earnestly doesn't mean that I do it with a club. It doesn't mean that I, I necessarily scold them. I may have to talk to them with truth and with some firmness, but there is a humble 
correct Christ-like tenderness that's used with them. Uh, Galatians 6.1. Think about it for yourself. Yes, there are times when we correct somebody, we have to be firm, but I, I want to be careful that I'm not yelling at them, that I'm speaking condescendingly to them. Uh, Galatians 6.1 Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Even Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let me read that last part again. But only such a word as is good for edification to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I know I need to grow in this. This verse is saying that how we speak and how we talk, God can use that when we speak correctly as a means of grace to others. You can be an agent or a tool of God's grace by seeking to be Gentle and kind and appropriate with your words. Which doesn't mean that you compromise the truth or don't speak frankly. You're just seeking to use appropriate words and terms for that moment. Jesus, the way he would speak to the Pharisees was very different from how he spoke to the woman at the well. But he was not unkind to the Pharisees. They needed to hear the truth very clearly. So did the woman at the well, but she was in a different spiritual condition. It's not communicating to them because you're bothered, but because you love them. You have compassion for them. That's why you want to talk to them. That's why you want to speak with them. I think of Matthew 9.36 was one of the first passages that came to my mind when I was thinking about this point, Matthew 9, 36, speaking of our Lord, of Christ, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And so when you have a loved one, a friend, a a believer, that you know that is struggling with sin and is having a hard time, maybe they're becoming a little bit bitter toward God. It can be easy, if we're not careful, to be bothered by them. Grow up! Quit your belly aching! When yet we need to be careful and with tender, compassionate, gentleness, seek to communicate to them the truth that may be hard for them to hear but we still need to communicate to them first we said communication then we said call and then we said compassion another C word to remember is fourth correction 
and you can use correction or, or comfort. That's the, the span of this term. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another. And it's the New Testament Greek word parakalao. And it can mean anything from correct to comfort, from exhort to encourage, even to give courage. Occasion demands how we use our words and how pointed and direct we need to be. But we are requesting people to do something to make a change in their attitude or their action by God's power, for God's glory, and for their good. But how exactly do we do this? Again, if you think of Jesus, how he spoke to Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, (laughs) Nicodemus in John 3 is different than how he spoke to Peter, when Peter was being restored. Different situations and different people calls for a different type of communication. It could be correction. It could be comfort. It could be exhortation. It could be pleading. It might be a frank rebuke. But we communicate, we communicate clearly with compassion, summoning them, calling them to make a change. Like that person going on their wrath. It's not, I humbly suggest maybe, um, I humbly suggest you think through what's going on right now. No, you, you, you would shout out, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself, take the rope. It wouldn't just, the occasion now, if I'm like just before you, if it's just you and I, then I would be much more careful how how I would talking how I would talk with you so a way to do this I think is first that is understanding the difference between correction and and comfort first is pray for wisdom god how do i talk to this person could be your husband could be your kids could be a friend how how do i talk to them lord you give me wisdom Secondly, find a verse or verses that will apply to that situation. So you can just say, here's what God says, I think, based upon the word. Here's what the word says. Correction or comfort. Now further, there is a a fifth word that I think also we can consider as we move away from this word encourage, look at the text, Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day. So this fifth word is consistency. Consistency. Encourage one another. To me, it's funny and convicting, but encourage one another day after day. I would like if it said, encourage one another on Sunday. Job done. I could do my job in one day in about five hours and be done with it. But it doesn't say that. If you look at the text, but encourage one another day after day. Maybe you can think of a better C word for this. Continually. Doing the, do this continually as a habit of life. It's not a one-time deal. It's not, I did this two years ago, two years ago, I encouraged Freddie. 
No, this is to be a way of life. It's not forever I'm going to encourage people not to drift away and to listen to unbelieving lies. In heaven, there'll be no sin and no temptation. But as we are in this life, our Christian duty is to encourage one another not to drift away, not to listen to the deceitfulness of sin. This is not simply a pastor's job, right? Uh, he, again, he Second uh, Timothy four two says, "Preach the word in season, out of season," right? But you also, not just a pastor, but you people in the pew also have to be in season and out of season with one another. Hebrews four verse twelve says, "For the equipping." of the saints for the work of service. And every Christian is a saint for the equipping of the Christians for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So all of us, all of us together, seek to seize every opportunity we have to encourage those that may not be doing that well. And I should say, even to those that are beginning not to do that well, or that may not do that well. That is, this is not just therapeutic encouragement, it's preventive encouragement. It's brother or sister, don't go that direction. Don't even start disbelieving or being bitter against God. God is for you. God loves you. Christ died for you. Believe Him. Trust Him. He is your refuge. Good weather, bad weather, in season, out of season. We seek to be consistent. What if, for some reason, you needed a a bodyguard? Maybe, maybe you're a secret billionaire in here in our congregation. Maybe you're somebody in quotes that was very important, and so you hired a bodyguard buff dude, you know, knows all these martial arts, has pistols, and he has a cannon. And then one day, he comes to work, but he's just like reading the newspaper. He's on his cell phone the whole time. And on this bad guys everywhere, you know, trying to kidnap you for a ransom, trying to, you know, whatever. And he's just I worked really hard last week. I worked seven days last week. 18 hours a day. I need a break. What would happen? Well, certainly he could be fired. But you you could get in big trouble. You'd be in big trouble. Something bad could happen to you. Because that man has been appointed. You paid that man to be your bodyguard. He is your means of rescue and safety. And he's not doing his job. He's inconsistent. What would you do? I'd fire him on the spot. If I had that guy guard my family and he did that, dude, you're out of here. I can do that. I can look at my cell phone and stand by my family. He was inconsistent. He's fired. That is here, this passage is saying that not in a legalistic way, But out of compassion and concern, we need to be ready to care for others and to communicate to other people. Or let me say it this way. God has ordained a means to help people not to drift away from Christ. What is that means? 
It's you talking to them. Yes, praying for them, but also talking to them. It means that God has ordained for other believers, for, for, for people that have professed Christ, to not to drift away from Jesus, an ordained means that God will use to help them as that you consistently communicate to them. Number six, a, a six C word, and that's the word conviction. Conviction. Keep looking at verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. For myself, when I read this text, I was convicted to be ready in season and out of season to either verbally or with a written form seek to compassionately communicate to others Christ that they won't drift away. But then added to this day after day is as long as it is still called today. Going back to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 about the Israelites when they were wandering around and they hardened their hearts toward God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is this urgency of doing it now. Doing it now. Communicate to people that are Communicate to those that profess Christ that maybe are overwhelmed by the temptations and trials of life and they're about to capsize and shrink away from their faith. Now to communicate to them so their hearts don't get calcified. Better to deal with a small problem sooner than later. There's this conviction in terms of it has to be done ASAP. Because they're believing lies. Maybe you have this other friend. I'm concerned about your friends because one of them is on a raft about to go over Niagara Falls. There's this other friend that you might have and they're eating, they're eating chicken. Chicken macne. Do you guys know what chicken macne is? I, I may be mispronouncing it. Indian butter chicken. It's so good. You're, you're eating it. Not you're eating it. Your, your friend is eating it. When you noticed sprinkled, just smell that chicken and that savory butter sauce. When you notice it's sprinkled with cyanide. It has cyanide on there. What would you do? I'll text him. You probably wouldn't text him. If you knew it was cyanide, what would you do? I know all of you. You would put. You would tackle. You'd be like, <laughs> you would tackle. You would do whatever you could to stop that morsel of food going into that person's mouth. You would do whatever. Maybe you'd put your hand over their mouth. <laughs> you would do whatever you had to do. There would be this conviction, this this urgency. That I have to do something now, right now, because if I don't, that person could take that morsel and die. That, that could be it. That's what this is saying here in this text when it is saying as long as it is, it's still called today, because that person or I might not have tomorrow. Yesterday I went to my neighbor's memorial service. 
He died a few weeks ago. He was 43 years old. Our whole neighborhood and his family is stunned that he died so young. 43 years old. He's dead. There is no today for him anymore. This passage is saying, as long as it is today, as long as you have time, there should be this urgency of, I should say something. It doesn't mean you have to convince that person. It doesn't mean that you have to spend an hour doing that. Maybe you send a one-sentence note. God loves you. I love you. I'm praying for you. You know, trust God. Okay, good. Right? It doesn't have to be an epistle. (laughs) Right? But there is this conviction that you have of, should I... You know, I, I love this person in Christ. Should I say something? What do I say? See, there are many times I have no idea at all what to say. If you don't have any idea what to say, just send them a Bible verse. <laughs> right? Send them John 3.16, Romans 5.8. Whatever you want, uh, Ephesians 2.8. You know, whatever you find a verse and send it to them. Be sure you send an appropriate verse. <laughs> Not one necessarily God stamping out the Mobites or something, but send them an appropriate verse. At times, and I think you have, you probably have had conviction that you should communicate to some person about where they're at with Christ. Well, that that could be not just a guilty conscience. It could be the Spirit of God working upon you to move you to do or say something. Again, it's not your job to change the heart. You communicate truth and allow God to change the heart. Follow that conviction. A seventh C word is crystallize. Crystallize. And what I mean is this. If you keep looking at verse 13, it says, so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Crystallize. Be clear on this, in other words. I, you can use the word clear instead of crystallize if you want to. Or, or clarity. I've said this, but let me state it again. The text is saying, look at verse 13. Encourage one another. So that, in order that, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The, the clarity is this. God has ordained that... People's hearts can be softened and not become harder by you communicating biblical truth to them. That's incredible. That's amazing for you and I to think about. Look back at verse 13. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So sin can say... Don't trust God. The the, the last time you trusted God, what happened? You you still felt pain. Life didn't necessarily get easier. It may have gotten harder. (laughs) For for these believers, again, that were... That the book of Hebrews is written to, they trusted Jesus, and some of them are in prison. And some of them have had their belongings, their homes, their clothes, their possessions stolen from them. They trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. And physically, their life's not going better. It's going worse. 
Should I trust God? That's the deceitfulness of sin. I trusted God last time, and things didn't, at least seemingly, go well. And sin will whisper that to you. Choose your own path. Do your own thing. Can God really be trusted? Then we listen to that, and then our heart gets a little bit softer. That is our mind, our will, our passion for God is not as soft as it used to be because we're going, no, 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 no. This is what Hebrews 3.13 is saying. But when I say clarity, that is, is that, think about this, this is, I think, incredible, that the security of salvation is mobilized in part by you and I speaking biblical truth to others. Uh, Philippians 1.6, He that began a good work in you will, will perfect it into the day of Jesus Christ. And God in part does that through your ministry to other believers. The Bible teaches that if you're a believer, you're going to not have a perfect life, but you're going to keep believing on Jesus, and God is going to see to it that through the power of the Spirit, He's going to keep you saved. But one of the processes by which He does that is by other people speaking gospel truth to you. We believe in the preservation of the saints. God keeps the saints preserved. He keeps them saved. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, that true believers keep persevering in Christ, but the means of all that happening, in part, is by you and I doing our delightful duty of encouraging other believers. That's incredible. And we need to be clear on that. God keeps true Christians saved partly because of your involvement in them in their lives. The, the means, the ordained means that God uses to keep people saved is by you speaking to them gospel truth. And that's incredible. He didn't have to do it that way, but he does do it that way. Whether it's through sermons or through books being read or through just conversation. Now, Let me give a, a final C word then. It, it may not be in your notes. This is clarification. Clarification. This is not a witch hunt. It's not about rebuking other people for your pet preferences. And maybe it's, maybe it's my own pet peeve, but one of the words I detest and maybe it's just me, but perhaps we can think about it. One of the words I sometimes don't like is the word accountability. Maybe I don't like it because I don't want to be held accountable, maybe. But sometimes I think we have this slogan words that we can toss around. You know, we have uh, accountability groups, uh, accountability community, you know, all these different terms we can toss around. But I'm saying let's be careful that we don't go up to somebody and just simply say, I'm not saying that this is wrong, but sometimes we can go up to somebody and say, so how was your quiet time? How, how was your quiet time? 
how's a person supposed to respond to that if they're really struggling with their quiet times? Are you struggling with your quiet times? How many of you had a one-hour quiet time every day this week? You inconsistent people. I'm joking with that, right? So what I am saying is we have to be careful that we don't become the accountability inspectors. Are you having your quiet time? Are you meeting with the Lord? How long are you meeting with the Lord? That's not what this is saying. This is saying that we communicate Christ to others and we we communicate biblical truth with compassion and humility to others if need be with pleading and with earnestness that they would not believe the lies of sin and Satan but believe God who is worthy to be trusted. Who is worthy to be trusted. First uh, Thessalonians 5.14 I think can sum this up very clearly. Paul sums it up much briefer than I do in First Thessalonians 5 verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we receive this mutual Christian duty and do it with delight. Lord, how fond I am and how I remember my seventh grade Sunday school teacher. I was the only one in his class and he just patiently taught me the gospel through the book of Romans and then I ended up by your grace being saved. Lord, may we be faithful as long as it is still today to share gospel truth, especially with those that are going through affliction and suffering and being tempted, Lord. We praise you and we give you thanks for Christ's sake. Amen.